So I don't know why it feels so good driving home from Bunnings with the boot full of things clanking in the back. It just feels good. But how exactly is retail therapy? Uh, Why does buying things make us feel better? Well, uh, psychologists tell us it it largely comes down to control. We we buy things and and we feel like we're controlling our environment. Um, You know, we want to control our environment. It makes us feel uh, better about the world around us. We feel like we're shaping it. Uh, Studies have shown that um, we buy things to make up for for the things that we think we lack. So, uh, you know, they've done experiments on people and they they find people who uh, believe that they are not doing as well as their peers around them. Uh, And sure enough, they'll turn and they'll look to retail. They'll, They'll buy things, they'll try and wear flash clothes, luxury brands, nice watches in an attempt to try and make themselves feel better about the fact they know they're not doing as well as those around them. So it's very interesting, although the studies also show that uh, it's kind of a double-edged sword because uh, every time you look down at the luxury watch that you've got to try and make yourself feel better, you realise that you're a fraud. (laughs) And so it uh, genuinely is a a double-edged sword. Well, uh, many of the forces that work in retail therapy are also uh, at work in the idolatry of Israel, uh, in the passage that we just read, which ultimately led to their destruction. Rather than looking to God for control, they looked to idols. They made images of idols for themselves as retail therapy looks to craft an image of ourselves. Rather than reflecting God's glory, they reflect kind of a curated glory that they're trying to make. So let's jump in and have a look at it together. Um, I've got some simple headings today around the the event um, and then God's explanation and then the aftermath. Um, but I thought it would be a good chance to kind of uh, slow down a little and, and reflect on the idolatry of Israel. Uh, we haven't really done this in Second Kings so far. We've kind of been going through the passages, but I thought it would be good to look at what's going on with this idolatry and what it means for us today. So firstly, the event, verses 1 to 6. Today's passage begins with Israel's final king, the king who, uh, who broke the camel's back, Verse 1, you'll see, says, In the twelfth year of Judah's king Ahaz, Hoshea, son of Elah, became king over Israel in Samaria and reigned nine years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, but not like the kings of Israel who preceded him. This is a shining commendation. He did evil, but on a whole new level to those that were before him. He really outdid himself in the evil department. And so we know what's coming. Judgment is inevitable. Verse 3, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, attacked him, uh, and Hoshea became his vassal and paid tribute money to him. So Israel, they're forced to uh, submit to the Assyrian king. Uh, And at this stage, Assyria were unbeatable. This is the the map of Assyria at that point, the, the big green They kind of were controlling all the nations around them and they would throw their weight around and they would come and they'd make people pay them taxes or they would threaten to invade them. And they had such a massive empire, they would actually use um, kind of a really strict uh, control uh, to try and control the whole empire. So they they would torture people, kind of really horrendous things. I I won't put up any images of carvings of the, the kind of means, the things they would do to people who rebelled against them as they looked to try and control their massive empire. <clears throat> shockingly, perhaps, though, this, this is a Assyria we're told about, but shockingly, um, we, we find that God says he has actually sent Assyria 
as, as the rod of his wrath. He, God is going to use evil to punish evil. So Isaiah 10.5 says, Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, the staff in their hands is my wrath. I will send him against a godless nation. Well, Israel, here they are. They've rebelled against God, and so God sends Assyria. And now, would you believe they rebel against Assyria? Uh, and, of course, Assyria invades them in verse 5. So, verse 5, Then the king of Assyria invaded the whole land. He marched up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria. He deported the Israelites to Assyria and settled them in Halal and Habor and Gozan River and in the cities of the Medes. And so uh, the Assyrians, they, they lay siege, they invade and they destroy. Uh, and in the end, they disperse the Israelites and resettle them. Um, Israel as a nation has been uh, ripped apart. It's, it's been ended by this. It's been sent to foreign lands. Um, they were sent far away. I think I have a map of this. Um, so these are some of the areas that they were sent far away. If we go to the next slide as well, it was maybe, like maybe about 1,300 kilometers, so uh, quite a way in our terms. But back then, this would have been, it was like going to a different planet. It was so far in travel in those days' terms. Their old life, it was over. Things were never going to be the way that they were. God has done, God has done the unthinkable. He, he's thrown his people to the wolves. How could he do this? Well, that's what our passage is about. The, the main chunk of our passage of chapter 17 is God's explanation. So let's turn there. God, God explains his actions. Now, it is hard, um, it is hard punishing, uh, and it's hard uh, explaining actions. And I've started to get a little bit of taste for this as a parent. Uh, these are kind of some of the really difficult things you have to do as a, a parent is try and... Um, you know, when your kid does something wrong, you're trying to think of some logical, uh, a logical punishment. And um, all, all the, the parenting books at the moment, they're all saying that you need to find logical consequences, uh, a kind of a, a consequence for, for, the, for the action that, that fits it logically. Uh, and so I was, had this in my head, and uh, I had a go at this yesterday. I don't know, I don't think it went very well. I, the two boys, Charlie and Archie, were sitting on the swing, and they both had Band-Aids on their knees, and they loved their Band-Aids. Uh, and Charlie looks at Archie, Archie's the little one, and says, Archie, would you like me to, to rip off your Band-Aid? And Archie can hardly talk. He's like, no, <laughs> I don't want you to take the Band-Aid off. And then sure enough, like two minutes later, uh, Archie's howling, and Charlie has his Band-Aid in his hand. And so there I am. I've got to think of what do I do? And uh, look, I don't know if this is great parenting, but I, I bent down and ripped off Charlie's Band-Aid. <laughs> And Charlie was mortified. He, I, I couldn't believe that I'd done it. Charlie couldn't believe it. He was inconsolable for an hour, and I had to try and explain why it was that I'd done what I'd done. Well, I was trying to think of a logical consequence, uh, <laughs> but as we'll see here, um, this is the, the, the remote tangent to our passage. God's, uh, God's punishment for Israel is it's logical, as we see. Uh, his his punishment for them is fitting for their sin of rebellion and idolatry. So let's have a look at verses 7 to 23, God's explanation. They're so rich. There's a lot of angles you could look at it from, but I want to frame it in the language uh, that comes up in the passage of exchanging the image of God <clears throat> and then God in turn pouring out his wrath. For these were God's uh, people. They were meant to reflect his glory, serve him, 
But they exchanged this and instead reflected the image of evil, we are told. So the explanation begins in verse 7, the second half of verse 7b. It says, Israel had sinned against the Lord their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt. See, they were gods. That's why God reminds them of this. They were his people. They were to be his nation on earth, his special nation. They were stamped with God's seal. But we're told that they exchanged God's customs for those of evil. Verse 8 says, They lived according to the customs of the nations that the Lord had disposed before the Israelites and the customs the king of Israel had introduced. So the very thing which they were meant to replace, these pagan nations, was actually what they, what they adopted, what they did. God gave them his law because they were his people. They were meant to reflect his glory, be his nation, but they went back. They, they were living like the customs with the customs of these pagan nations, expressing the evil that God had sent them to replace. We'll continue to unpack this, but you can see it's the same for Christians today. Um, we are given a, a privileged image of Christ to live out. We're called to express his glory, his righteousness, living according to his customs. Well, the next exchange, the next explanation we get is that they exchange protection. Rather than looking to God for protection and security, they look to false gods, false hopes, false powers. Verse 9, uh, the second half, 9b, records that the Israelites secretly did what was not right against the Lord their God. They built high places in all of their towns from watchtower to fortified city. Um, and so this is a, I've got a bit of an, uh, a carving, uh, I think I have a slide there. This is a, an Assyrian carving of one of their wheeled battering rams laying siege to a watchtower. It would have been very much like the watchtower that they laid siege to of Israel, which they destroyed. Uh, and that, the watchtower, verse 9 says, inside of it contained a secret shrine to a pagan god. We see that the entire passage is is kind of dripping in this tragic irony. Because the watchtowers, they were symbols of military strength, of, of security, protection. Uh, and the high place, the little shrine inside the watchtower that they had there in secret to a false god, that it was there because they wanted this false god to protect them. Well, it didn't really work out for them, did it? Because, of course, by putting another shrine in there, God removed his protecting hand from them, which is what led to their destruction. And God is pointing this out. Ironically, the, also the watchtower, right? You think about this, the watchtower is meant to see out, it's meant to have clear vision, and yet inside there's a little secret shrine to a pretend God. But Yahweh, of course, who has perfect vision, saw them doing this. He watched them erect the shrine, uh, the shrine and so they are blinded to the attack that came to destroy them. One of the key uh, expressions of idolatry in Scripture is looking to other things other than God for security. Um, the idol, uh, whatever it is that makes us feel secure, uh, our money, our, our winning smile, our abilities, uh, all the luxury clothing that we talked about that we, we buy to try and make ourselves look the way we want to look. And we're right to feel insecure, we're right to feel inadequate, which is why we erect things like watchtowers. But the gospel invites us to, to feel our insecurities and inadequacies with the image of Christ, with the fullness of his Son. God will be our protection, and Christ's righteousness will be our adequacy. Well, next, next we're shown how Israel exchanged provision uh, in verse 10. 
Verse 10 says, They set up for themselves sacred pillars and Asherah poles on every high hill and under every green tree. So the goddess mother Asherah represented uh, birth, growth, life. Uh, Magnificent trees were dedicated to her and and poles and shrines were erected under her, uh, under these beautiful trees, because she was said to provide life, success and harvest. Trees... Trees are beautiful. Trees are sacred, aren't they? They, they? they reflect God's majesty, his wonder, his glory. And so to take this glory and dedicate it to a false god was, was to exchange the glory of God and to confuse where one's provision came from. Um, likewise, our modern world is not so subtle in erecting and uh, dedicating provision uh, as coming from, from human ingenuity, not God. We, we don't give God the glory that he deserves for the magnificent things that we build. Instead, we say, just look at the world that we've built for ourselves. We see the same thing today, don't we? God does not get the glory that he's due. Next, we are told of how Israel exchanged service. Verse 12 says, they served idols, although the Lord had told them you must not do this. This is so blatant uh, to say they literally served idols. Uh, it reminded me uh, of here at Snack, we, we have three things from Scripture that we've kind of distilled about how we can glorify God, expressing his image, um, proclaiming Jesus, growing disciples, and serving together. Because we want to serve God, serving God explicitly, actively serving him. And yet we read of Israel that they served idols. They exchanged what they were meant to serve rather than serving God. Of course, this is always the temptation to serve the self, to serve the creation, but not the creator. So we have those four exchanges, and we get a kind of summary then in verses 13 to 7. And we see, um, if you zoom back, they've reflected the image of evil is what is going on there, rather than reflecting the image of God. Let me take you through it. Uh, Verse 17b, halfway through, it says, They devoted themselves to do what was evil in the Lord's sight and provoked him. They were devoted, not to God, they were devoted to evil. They devoted themselves to idols. Uh, Halfway through 16, 16b says, they made cast images for themselves, two calves and an Asherah pole. So they cast themselves images, crafted images for themselves, rather than looking to God. We are all made in God's image and called to reflect him, and yet people are all tempted to cast an image for themselves, of themselves, instead of looking to God, instead of expressing God's glory. Our society, uh, sadly, it worships itself. The self is cast. The self is crafted. It's carefully curated. You only have to look on social media, don't you? And there's the profile. There's the picture. This is the person they've crafted who they want to be, the image of who they're trying to project to the world. It might be a, of a socialite. There they are with friends, smiling. Uh, or it might be of a cultured person dining at a, at a popular restaurant, or it might be of an intelligent person quoting the greats. It's a curated, crafted image. Humanity looks to, to cast an image for itself, uh, and as it does this, it carves itself up. I, I can't help but think of the, the surgeries that people do to themselves. It may be cosmetic surgery. People cannot accept the image God has given them, and so they want to change it. Then they're not willing to accept the destiny that God has uh, in store for them, say with growing old, and so they, you know, they, they take to the blade, cutting themselves up, or even worse, surgeries to change one's biology, cutting away what God has given them, seeking a different image 
That's sad to see. Our passage continues to say that um, of Israel in 15, halfway through, it says, They pursued worthless idols and became worthless themselves, following the surrounding nations the Lord had commanded them not to imitate. They pursue worthless idols and become worthless themselves. And that's seen in, in the terrible out, outcome of their idolatry. Um, it, they pr- project this image of evil. Verses 16 and 17 are, are terrible. They, they give a, a picture. Let me read both verses together. The, the picture of Israel. It says, They abandoned all the commands of the Lord their God. They made cast images for themselves, two calves and Asherah pole, and they worshipped the whole heavenly host and served Baal. They made their sons and daughters pass through the fire and practice divination and interpreted omens. They devoted themselves to do what was evil in the Lord's sight, and he provoked them. So it's, it's a summary. It's a picture of them, of how they have devoted themselves, uh, given themselves to this evil. The fire that they cast their idols in is the same fire that they sacrificed their children in. It's, it's unthinkable evil. Um, how, how could they get to this point? Well, the, the, these verses, they plot their fall. Verse 16, it begins with them abandoning the commands of God. First you abandon the true God, and then you make your own gods. And that's what they did. Verse 16 says they cast images for themselves, idolatrous images which demanded sacrifice. And then verse 17 ends saying they devoted themselves to evil. And this is what Romans, the book of Romans in the New Testament says, happens to all humanity outside the gospel. Romans 1.21 says, uh, Of all humanity, for although they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images representing mortal men, birds, four-footed animals and reptiles. This is exactly what Israel has done. This is exactly this is what chapter 17 is saying. They deny God. They don't glorify him. Then they exchange the true God for, for mortal uh, uh, images. They exchange the immortal God for these created things. They make idols. And so how does God respond? Well, he, he delivers them over to this evil. Romans one twenty four. It says, therefore, God delivered them over to the cravings of their hearts, to sexual immorality, so that their bodies were degraded amongst themselves. God delivers them over to these evil cravings. Just as God delivered the Israelites over to the Assyrians, he delivers people over to their evil cravings. The wrath of the Assyrians was the wrath of God, as we said, upon Israel who, who hid and denied God's truth. And it's the same. Romans 18, says... For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And so this is this terrible picture of Israel, but also of all who deny God. The wrath of God, it can be seen in our society's addiction to evil, for they've exchanged the image of God for created things. Uh, they curate their own images they make, they shape themselves to be what they think is good, but ultimately it's evil. It's a very sad picture. Uh, the, the picture of being banished from God, then, is what we're left of with Israel. Uh, chapter 20, the second half, says, God handed them over to plunderers 
until he banished them from his presence. And so that's how God describes relationally what is happening there with Israel. They have been banished from his presence. They are no longer able to be with him. It's a very heavy picture. It's a very heavy picture. We've come to the end. Um, Before we turn to uh, uh, look at Jesus and the gospel and how he uh, saves, uh, being the image of the invisible God, let me wrap up our passage very briefly and look at the the aftermath. Um, It's verses 24 to 41. Uh, What happens to the land of Israel afterwards? Let me very briefly... um, uh, explain what happens. The, the Assyrians send off the Israelites and then they bring in new people. And I kind of have a map there. Um, so this is Israel before, uh, but then they're sent off. And Judah down the bottom there is still going strong, sort of. We're going to come to Judah in, in the coming weeks in Second Kings. But Israel, you can see, has been totally repopulated. It's, Assyria has completely changed what it looks like. And there are new people there. Uh, and then what Second Kings tells us is that uh, these new residents come in the land. Uh, verse 25 says, uh, When they first lived there, they did not fear Yahweh. So the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. And so these new people there, they don't know Yahweh and God's... Uh, they're not doing his way. Uh, they didn't fear him. Verse 27 continues, The king of Assyria issued a command, Send back one of the priests you deported, have him go there, live there, so he can teach them the requirements of the God of the Lamb. And so they, they need to learn God's way. And uh, I, I'm going to cut a long story short here. And uh, the same thing happens as with Israel. This, this priest who was one of, the, one of the Israelites teaches them the same thing, that they can have Yahweh and they can have their idols and they can have their false gods. And, and of course, the same thing happens. They, they're never right with God. And it's this picture of um, hopelessness. Nothing is going to change there. It is still God's land, and yet people are still compromising, making the same mistakes. Well, uh, let me finally turn to the glorious gospel. That the answer to all this idolatry is Jesus, the image of the invisible God. Let me, let me pull together some of these themes here, which the gospel fulfills in Christ. See, the gospel is God's power for salvation. Um, human rebellion, it has an answer in Christ. And that is that humanity is to reflect the image of Christ, the glory of God. Uh, In Genesis, five times in the opening chapters, we're told that God made humanity in his image. People are to reflect God's glory um, because God gives life. Not not Asherah, who we read about, the goddess of life, who, you know, she was meant to bring life, and yet she demanded child sacrifice. She brought death. Uh, And God's nation, Israel, uh, who were meant to reflect his image ended up reflecting evil. They ended up reflecting death. But where Israel failed, Jesus succeeded. So Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Jesus wasn't a representation of God. He was God. He was God himself. We don't make images for ourselves as Christians. We look to Christ, the image of God. I love this quote by Richard Linz. He says, The blueprint for a new cosmic order was to be found in the very one who brought that order into being. See, Jesus is the picture of the new creation. Jesus is the image of the living God. The picture of the new creation, it wasn't to be Israel back then in Second Kings, but it's to be Christ who brought creation into being. And the gospel offers salvation to be conformed to this image. Um, Romans 8.29 famously says, 
For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So we're to be conformed to the image of the Son. We're to bear that image for those who are in Christ. Rather than reflecting death or or curating images uh, of this world, which are ultimately dying, the gospel offers us an opportunity to reflect the image of eternal life. So 1 Corinthians 15.49 says, And just as we have borne the image of the man made of dust, we will also bear the image of the heavenly man, that is Jesus Christ. So we know that uh, through the gospel life, we are being recreated by the Spirit's power after God's image, made into his likeness, so that we mirror God. It's, it's a great vision for Christians. For us, we do this by mirroring Christ. We have Jesus Christ. We have his example as a man. There he walked. We can look to him and imitate that to reflect the image of God. The gospel solution to, uh, to retail therapy is, um, I think I have a slide for this, righteousness therapy. I coined that. That's mine. You, you, I, I'm very pleased with myself. Righteousness therapy, uh, where instead of clothing yourself with luxury brands to make yourself feel better, you clothe yourself with righteousness. Shape yourself into the image of Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Colossians 3.12 gives us a great vision of this. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another, forgive each other, if any of you have a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. What a beautiful image. That is, that is the image of Christ, a curated image of Christ, clothed in his virtues, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Colossians draws, uh, it's interesting, Colossians there draws attention to forgiveness, to forgiving one another. Uh, and it's, it's just intriguing. Like Our world loves to take offense. It, it loves to, um, to, to shape one's image as being a victim, of being wronged by someone else. But those uh, shaped in the image of Christ are to forgive as he forgave us because it's more important to be someone that forgives than to be someone that has been wronged by somebody else. And so nothing fills me with joy. I like seeing someone reflecting this image of Christ that the gospel makes possible rather than Rather than boasting on social media, um, you know, maybe of their, their security or, or their social status, they, they reflect the glory of God um, when they serve him. Their security is in their standing with God in Christ and his people. Um, they, they curate a life of service to Christ, secure in Christ's love. They, they serve selflessly uh, and, and they cultivate a rich life of prayer with God, daily turning to him. They shine God's light and people see it. We saw in our passage, Israel, Israel were banished from God for making idols, for being made into the likeness of these idols, but those in Christ are brought near and made into the image of Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, by, our, uh, by your power, protect us from idolatry by shaping us into the image of your Son, to which you have called us. Show us all the worldly things we put our security and hope in and show us how to look to you for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.